Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddart. Thank you so much for joining me. Every week, I have my co-host, Ethan. What's up, Ethan? Great to see you. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, man. Yeah. How was your week? That was good. It was good. I think we were talking just before the episode kicked off here. It's kicked my ass a little bit. I'm still getting used to the new year, but yeah. uh, you know, happy to be in, like, back in the mix. Nice. What about you? Yeah, it was a good week. Um, it's always so funny. I feel like every time I start an episode, I, I you have to preface it by saying like, before we hit record, because there's always like that chat, right? Great week for Copy Blogger, and then for Stadzi, I was just saying, well, actually. The timing was funny because um, uh, Nathan from ConvertKit posted a really great thread on Twitter the other day, basically talking about the procedures he put in place now that they're like 40 people deep and they're all the way and they're all across the world. And I think they're doing something silly, like 29 million a year. Wow. And all of the simple processes he put together to help the team communicate effectively without slack overload and so i took a lot of insights from from his twitter thread the other day and i've just been spending all week putting together all these these documents so that we can have uh cleaner processes and everybody actually knows how to properly interact in like this new digital frontier that we're all kind of figuring out and stumbling our way through so i feel really good now that it's over and that i got it done it's kind of like you know, cleaning out your garage, right? Like it sucks when you're doing it, but after it's done, you feel really good. So I'm, 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 I'm glad about that, but I'm ready for the week to be, be done. And plus we're going to Miami this weekend. So I got a lot of driving to do. Oh, that's right. I didn't realize you guys were driving down. That should be fun. So you, yeah. what are you like signing off of this and then getting in the car? Or? No, we don't leave till Sunday, but mm-hmm. we're completely unprepared. Like, oh, no. <laughs> like we're in Miami for a month. I don't, I don't have anything packed. Like we're completely unprepared. So we leave Sunday morning. So yeah, by the time this gets released on Tuesday, I'll be in Miami and I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm going to be there for a month. Awesome. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about landing our first clients. So let's kick this thing off. You got your start as a freelance writer. Tell me about your journey to land that first client and what that story looks like. Yeah, sure. So I should um, I should qualify by saying I did get my start as a freelance writer, but I very quickly transitioned into being a freelance web developer. And there was a reason for this. We actually, we covered this a little bit in the last time and I'll go into a little bit more detail. So my first writing jobs were sketchy to say the least. It was <laughs> basically, this was like 2012. So it seems crazy to say now, but like the internet was basically still very young back then. And uh, I'd found some ads on Craigslist that were paying writers, I don't know, 50 bucks a pop to write these short articles of all different types. And I, I forget what some of them were like, some of them were technically based. I think I wrote one about what is SEO, which is, that's kind of interesting as a throwback. Cause that's a lot of what I do now. Some of them were reviews for dating sites, which I mentioned in the last article or the last podcast. And that was actually what got me to leave because uh, the sites were just like, they were, I don't think they were bad. They were just very sketchy, like early stage startups that were clearly looking for traction. 
And I got it in my head. I'm like, if somebody uses this and gets attacked or something like that, and they're like, but that there was a glowing review online. I'm like, I'm just never going to be able to <laughs> sleep if I do this. So I ended up walking away from that job and, and really out of necessity transitioned into something else, which was web development. So I had always coming up through high school, kind of had these like entrepreneurial ideas. I had one like a small grant to, to, to launch a project in college by competing in one of those elevator pitch competitions. And so I'd always been like trying to start stuff, always needed a website, never had any money. So over time had learned how to build those. And it was essentially, it became the first thing that people would like actually pay me to do, right? The startups never really worked out. The businesses never really worked, but people started paying me to build their websites. And so that's kind of the long journey into web development as a, as a, as a career. But I wanted to just give that backstory to create a slight delineation before we go forward, which is this, I was thinking about it today and I'm like, there really are two starts, I think, to most people's freelance career. There's the first time you do a project and get paid for it. And then there's like the first time you get a client on purpose. And I think this is an important you're distinction. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to hear your story about this. But like for me, it, I think I had done two other websites and gotten paid for them. One was for a cabinet maker. And one was for my, I have a, an aunt and uncle that run a dog daycare and they needed like an updated website. Oh, and I think I had done one for my grandparents because they ran a bed and breakfast. So I had done like a handful of these little projects, but I had never gone out and like specifically said, okay, this is what I'm going to do for work. This is what I'm dedicating my time to come pay me to do this until a certain point. And I'll talk about that certain point. I mean, I have, I want to get into like the nitty gritty of exactly how I did that, but I'll just pause there because it sounded like you actually kind of resonate with that idea of like two different starting points for freelancers. Did you experience the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> okay. Like I'll just put it all out there. I was at a time in my life where I was heading in a, a whole new direction and I was reading a whole lot of motivational material and I just needed to fill my mind with, with good stuff because I just had so many bad thoughts in my brain about who I was and how I thought about myself and my self-esteem and all that, right? Um, and actually, you, you liked the, uh, my tweet the other day. Every year, I read Think and Grow Rich. And it's a book that I read for the first time, what would that have been, in 2011, and it's a book that had a huge impact on me. And there's a, there's a part of that book. Uh, it's, it's stage three of the 12 step process to get rich basically. Um, and it's called auto suggestion. And it's basically like his representation of the secret, you know, that book, the secret where like, if you just the law of attraction, if you just believe things hard enough, and I was like, nah, that's fucking bullshit. Right. And, and I started doing it and I started imagining checks coming in the mailbox and every time I went open my mailbox, I was living in Delray Beach in Florida. I would imagine that it was a check. And about that time is when I heard an interview from Seth Godin. It was on Success Magazine. Um, I had somebody that bought me a subscription to Success Magazine. And it's so funny to think it was only, what, 11 years ago at this point. But every issue of Success Magazine had a CD in it with an interview. And like a CD, what is that, right? 
And it was the first one I ever heard. I didn't know who Seth Godin was at the time. And I just remember listening to this interview and his idea of, it was right when Purple Cow came out. So like the idea virus and like the best ideas win and things that spread win. And they asked him, what do you think is the best place to start? It's like the, the question at the end of every interview, right? Like if you could give a piece of advice, what would you say? And he said, start a blog, don't tell anybody about it and write in it every day. And so that was when Blogspot was still around. And so I started a Blogspot and because Blogspot was owned by Google, there was like a little switch that you could put Google ads on. And um, I, I didn't even know like what it was really. Like I had no idea what an ad network was or even that I was, I was making money. Frankly, I, I guess I thought I was, but I just, I didn't have the awareness to realize it. And then one day I come home and like, what do you think happens? There's a check in my mailbox for like $24. Um, I still have it. I never deposited it. Yeah. I just, I, there's a check in my mailbox. And, uh, and that was the switch that I really needed to actually just be like, oh my God, like this is possible. Like I can make money. And so even though that wasn't necessarily like a, a freelance client, that was the first thing where it's like, I got that accidental deal, you know, where like your cousin's friend or something says like, Hey, I got a friend who writes, why don't you, why don't you try this person out? Um, so that was my first, like a, a job just kind of stumbled my way. And then it gave me the confidence to believe like, you know what, I can actually go for this and, and try to get some clients of my own. That's awesome. I love, <laughs> I love stuff like that. I have a, well, actually I have, I have two things I want to say about this because um, I'm surprised by the similarity in our experiences. And it gets me wondering, like, you know, is this just something that happens to everybody who starts down this path? Are these all just universal kind of experiences that you will have if you kind of embrace this lifestyle? So real quick, for anybody who's just listening, I'm tilting my camera slightly so that you can see the extremely messy cork board that's usually nice. off out of frame. Right there, that's the document that I read every day per Napoleon Hill's suggestion for the okay. auto suggestion. Mine's in my drawer yeah. right next to my bed. So, and I got <laughs> from that book. I mean, it's, so <laughs> this is something that I think maybe a lot of people do, but don't often talk about. Great book. Love that book. I had, just to piggyback on that story, I had a similar experience one time with one of those. So one of the first businesses I ever tried to start, I was in, I think it was like my first year of college and I had just read the four hour work week and loved it. And you know what? I, I actually still think like some of the things I tried to start back in the day could have worked if I knew more about what I was doing. The thing that I had gotten some traction with or like early interest in was this idea for a website called Rhodes Scholars, R-O-A-D-S Scholars. And it was just going to be like a student discount club for students who travel. And I got like a little bit of money to get started, had no idea how to build that into a business and ultimately walked away from it. But I really feel like that could have worked and it, like, it could probably still work. I know there are probably other companies. That are yeah. Especially now. And then there was another one where I loved, I just loved the four hour work week. And I was like, like, I'm like, I just, I knew that book inside and out. And I had, uh, was trying to figure out like how to get paid for spreading the word of that book. So I had like created these, uh, sessions, like speaking sessions. And I was trying to get people to pay me to come in and do those. And, uh, I stuck, I struck on this other idea of like, 
I'm going to sell the, I'm just going to sell the book. Like I'm just going to order a bunch of the book and just sell it. <laughs> and it turns out it's actually really easy, or at least it was at that time to become a distributor for Random House. You just filled out a form online and then they would literally send you boxes of books on spec. And so I had ordered like $700 worth of the four hour work week and vagabonding and forgot about them. And then like, like I forget what happened, but over the course of several weeks, I kind of burned through a lot of ideas like you do at that age. And then was feeling really down one day. And I was like, man, nothing's just like, nothing's working out. And I came home and there was a case of those books just on the doorstep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is cool. So anyways, that's a long diversion. But since we're talking about like early starts and stuff like that, I uh, there's a lot from your story that resonates with me as well. It's cool to hear that you got started that way. So if that was the first accidental project, well, how did you end up transitioning then into like, what was the first time you went out and got a client? Yeah. So there is another little preface to that. And I think it's so important that you talked about the first client that comes your way, because when it comes to freelancing, especially, and I see this all the time in Copy Blogger Academy, I don't, I'm struggling a little bit to figure out what the word for this is and like how to properly teach it. But if you're going out to get a client, you have to believe that you can get a client. It's, it's such a hard thing to drill into people's heads because sometimes, sometimes you can know it and then all of a sudden something just clicks and then you just believe, right? I mean, it's, it's like running the four minute mile type deal. And until that happens, until in your mind you feel not even necessarily good enough, but like competent enough, like figure outable, then it's really hard to land that first client because people can smell it if you're pitching them and they can just smell that like, oh, this dude's just getting started or this girl doesn't really feel confident in themselves yet. But in some cases, I have actually personally seen, I can think of a specific example one of the first jobs I ever got where I had no business landing this freelance job, but I could tell that the person who was hiring me just knew that I was more into it. I was more a go-getter type. I was going to figure it out and I was going to deliver the best job possible. And it's important to start with that because there is something about that um, exchange of value that has this feeling of belief and like trust that has to be noted. But okay, more specifically, I got it through my blog. I got a lot of stuff through my blog. At the time, that blog on Blogspot that I told you about, I named it The Fourth Dimension. And that turned into timstods.com, which is still my personal blog. And I was writing on that. And, and Facebook was a lot different then because remember, the algorithm was different. So if you had a, a Facebook page of you know, like 500 people and you posted an article, like 200 of those people would really see it. And now you can have a Facebook page with like 100,000 people and 200 people will see it. So I, I had a Facebook page. I said, Tim Stodds freelance writing, or actually with Stodzy, um, Stodzy freelance writing. And I would write articles on my website and publish them. And leads would come in. And eventually through my experience of sharing my story with my sobriety and stuff like that. I, I found this niche in 
um, addiction treatment centers. And I found that there was a, a really high demand for written content in that field because there's like a language sort of, there's a way that people communicate with each other and like lingo and, and phrases and slogans and all that, that um, if you know, gives you like a real huge advantage. So, so, okay, let me summarize that. The first step is like, I believed, I believed that like I could actually write well enough for people to hire me. And through that belief, I started a blog this is where I found copy blogger actually. And around this time in my life and why I, I put a blog on WordPress and took it off a of blog spot. And I just, I just started writing, but more importantly, I like shared my writing and I made it known that yes, like I'm hireable and you should hire me. And eventually one thing led to another and I got my first client. It was a, a all women's treatment center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, I don't, can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but that was my first client. Wow. Right on. So there's a lot in there that I think is going to be great to unpack. And I want to come back to that concept of believing in yeah. a minute, because I hadn't thought of that, but it is, it seems like a really critical component. But before I ask you about that, I'm curious, do you remember what article it was that published that ultimately led to like the interaction with that treatment center? Um, were you Were you saying something to the effect of like, here's an example of something that I wrote, please come hire me now. Or was it more like, cause I know your blog is typically kind of your thoughts on lots of different topics. Yeah. Had somebody just stumbled across that and said, Oh, this person's a good writer. I'm going to reach out and see if he happens to do this professionally. What, what was it that actually triggered them to make that connection? Do you remember? I, I do remember the connection and I guess this is the point I'm trying to make where the figure outable type aspect of it. Back then, my, my blog was much more marketing focused, right? I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I had been obsessively reading Copyblogger and Seth Godin and, and business comes to you instead of you going to get business. And so like, I, this is so embarrassing to say now, but I would go to Copyblogger every day I would look at the newest article that Brian or Sonia, or there was another guy named Damian Farnworth at the time that was a writer. And I would take the article and I wouldn't copy it word for word, but I would copy the exact structure and even like the, the tagline and just think, okay, how can I take this and make it about something like kind of similar, you know? And then that's what I would write. And Dude, yeah, I, so eventually it came to me. I don't think, I mean, I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I think that's awesome. And yeah. I see this, I actually see this more often than people might expect. Among the most successful marketers that I know, a lot of them have this habit of like saving stuff that catches their attention and then rehashing it. So on Twitter, I mean, if you follow enough people on Twitter closely enough, you'll see that there's a bunch of people out there who are writing great threads. And every once in a while, you start to see like a couple of them posting the same thread. And that yeah. this is what's happening behind the scene. Like somebody looks at something, goes, oh, this is good. And then saves it and then does their version of it. Same thing for titles. Same thing for article ideas. Like, I, I actually don't think this is embarrassing at all. I think it's it's tradecraft in some ways. Yeah. Well, um, that's how I did it. And eventually I got, I remember the lead coming through. It came through on Facebook Messenger. 
well, it wasn't even called Facebook Messenger back then. It was, it was totally different. It was just a, an instant message on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's really going back. You remember Facebook before they integrated that and like everyone just wrote everything on everyone's walls? Yeah. That's going to come back to haunt all of us, I think, at some point. Sure. Like everybody, yeah. all the millennials. Oh, my God. The Internet doesn't forget. Yeah. OK, so my story was maybe maybe somewhere, maybe different. I'm not sure. I'll let, I'll let other people judge. So. When I decided to officially launch this business as a web developer, there was a big component of that that actually ties into the belief thing that you talked about. And I want to put a pin in that and come back to it so we can refer to it after this. But as I mentioned, I had done a couple of jobs and I knew enough about where web development was at the time to feel very comfortable saying, whatever you need, I can probably build it, right? Now, technical people listening to this know that that's actually a much taller order than it seems at, at first. And like I was in a lot of ways, I was naive enough not to know what I didn't know. So I think that helped as well. But I, I built a handful of websites and I felt pretty comfortable that I could do the job. So my parents belonged to this real estate investment club at they're still going i think it's called fortune builders and they're really cool they, they they kick a lot of ass their whole thing is like buying and flipping houses and investing in properties and if you look into the business these guys are just killing it and i remember in one of their sessions they had this tip where they said when you first start out like on your journey as a real estate investor here's what you should do you should go to mailchimp create an account then use their import feature and you, what you do is you just literally like give it access to your Gmail account and it pulls in every single email that you've ever interacted with to a list. And then you click compose, you write to that list and you say, I'm a real estate investor and like I'm looking to, to buy houses and you press send. Now, this was 2000, like 12 or something like that. So yeah, I think a lot of the flag for spam, <laughs> like there is now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the like uh, manners around email and stuff have changed, but I had heard that idea and I'm like, that's brilliant. Why don't more people do that? So I, that's exactly yeah. what I did. And dude, when we were, I was prepping for this call, I actually went back and found the email and like my old MailChimp account still exists. So I want to read it real quick and also give people thoughts on this. First of all, I should say, well, let me just give this story. So I, I did exactly that. I went to MailChimp. I created an account. I had it pull in every email I'd ever interacted with. I did a quick scan of the list to like pull out anything like, you know, like when, <laughs> my first jobs were on Craigslist. So there's all these Craigslist emails in there that you don't really need to send anything to. And then just other people that I thought might not want to hear from me or something like that. But I didn't really edit the list that much. And there's a reason for that. And I think I would actually leave this the same in retrospect. The reason for not heavily editing the list was because you never really know where an opportunity is going to come from. And that's what this real estate group had said. And so this was really uncomfortable for me, but I challenged myself to not edit the list, right? So I drafted up this email. I sent it. I just looked at the stats the other day. It went out to about five, it went out to, I think it was 568 people of them. 200 people opened it and about 20 to 30 people clicked on the links to my website. And I want to say a couple of quick things about this before we go any further. So the first was, as I mentioned, I'm a little conflicted on this topic, on this tactic today, because 
the ethics or like the manners of just internet marketing have changed. But here's the thing. It, it worked. So I sent this email in less than 15 minutes after I sent it, I got a response from somebody who said, actually, I should, oh, I should, I should have pulled up the response, but I read it last night and he said something to the effect of, Hey, so-and-so sent me your information says like, you're in the business of building websites. Now, I think we might need your services. Like, let me know if you want to talk within 15 minutes. He ended up being my first serious client, paid me several thousand dollars to overhaul his website. We ended up working together for several years and he referred me to other people. All of that, he wasn't even on my email list. It was all because an old colleague of mine, somebody I'd interned with and hadn't talked to in years was on that list. When I sent the email, he was literally sitting in the office with this guy discussing how they were going to overhaul their company's website. And like the email pops in, he goes, huh, speak of the devil. Like, I know this guy, he's all right. You might want to talk to him. So all of that is kind of a long way of painting this picture. I wanted to get really tactical and just zoom in on the specific tool was MailChimp. I think they still probably offer this. Uh, I've heard other people use tools to pull in all their contacts from LinkedIn. Definitely. I sent it as one big list. And I think a lot of people would probably hate on that these days. If I were doing it again today, I don't think I would do it the same way. And I'll tell you what I would do. But I feel compelled to point out it worked, right? It yeah. worked. Yeah. And 30% of the people opened it. Nobody complained, right? I think that's the biggest fear that a lot of people get. No matter how they're going to share their message, their, their biggest fear is I'm bothering somebody. Yeah. And I think that's something that everybody has to kind of work through. Uh, and it worked. It got my business started, which was really important because I was like completely broke back then. Anyways, what would I change? If I was to do this today, because like the, just like what's kosher has changed, I would still probably do the first part the same. I would import every email into MailChimp just so I had them all in one spot because it's going to pull in emails from people that you completely forgot you even knew, right? People you forgot you had any interaction with, emails that you won't even recognize. Like, I had had one interaction with a local newspaper several years prior, and they ended up sending me it was either they wanted to interview me or they sent me like their ad sheet. And they're like, hey, we can give you a really good deal on ads if you want to advertise your business. So there's like, there's all these opportunities that are going to come from not editing your list too early. But rather than mass email everybody, if I were starting a service business today, I would do that first step. And then I would literally spend my first week sitting down and I would just crush personalized emails, yeah, like 50 to hundred at a time uh, until I started getting responses and like people yeah. asking for that. I think that's the component that I would change today, but this is extremely effective. It worked. And I have to say, I've done this multiple times in my earlier years to a, like probably somewhere between one and 2000 total email addresses. And I only ever got one complaint on this and she was really pissed. So <laughs> there's fine. always the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fine. Take that person off the list immediately. But for whatever it's worth, that's how I got my first client. It was a referral from an old intern colleague that I never would have reached out to otherwise. And that's the mechanics behind it. Yeah. Cold email is still to this day really underrated. It's just a grind. 
And you got to be specific with it because you can waste a lot of time and not get very far. But if you have like an objective, I think cold email is really, really important. But you said you were going to read the email. What's it say? Okay. So I'm actually surprised that I made it this way. Like I, I pulled this yesterday and this was a real throwback. I didn't realize that I had written this this way, but there's like a very fancy header image with like all these yeah, photos yeah. from different travels and stuff. Can I share my screen here or no? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a great idea. I was just going to ask and I was like, I don't want to, you know, jack your screen. <laughs> you can share it now. All right. So this is it. I don't know if people can see this. <laughs> oh my God. Look at that <laughs> old school header image. Yeah. So these are like all f- photos from different like trips that I had taken. And it uh, just for anybody listening, it says exciting news, smiley face. And then here it leads in. Hello to all my old, hello to all my friends, contacts, and I'm sure some enemies. I just wanted to drop you a quick line and let you know what I'm up to these days. I'm stoked to announce that I started a new business. And then there's a link to the website there. For a couple of years now, I've been helping business owners redesign websites for their companies. It was always more of a side project, but I recently took it full time. From minor code repairs to complete visual overhauls, added functionality, and mobile design, I now do it all. If you have a website and you're interested in having work done, uh, work like this done, give me a shout here. And then there's another, I think, link to my normal website. Uh, likewise, if you have a friend, coworker, boss, <laughs> pet with an internet presence who... <laughs> who might be interested in work like this, I'd appreciate it if you passed my name along. Uh, they will too, I promise. If this is way outside your wheelhouse and you couldn't be more bored, please unsubscribe below so I don't send you any more of this junk. Otherwise, all the best, Ethan. And then there's some, I think, I guess these were like links to recent projects or something. Yeah, it looks like um, that. Yeah, so th- I will like give my past self credit and just say, the copy is pretty it. playful. It's pretty yeah. playful. And That's I wouldn't good. hate getting this, even if like, I was like, like I haven't talked to Ethan in years. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to try something like that, maybe that helps. Well, but I again, think the point is just like, like you were saying, like you, you went after it, right? It's, it's, yeah, like I, I got to find a word for it. I have to somehow incorporate this into my education. Just like that notion of like, this is going to happen and I'm going to figure it out. And it doesn't always happen in the first week. Sometimes is, I'm not really like a woo-woo type person. I don't believe in the law of attraction as like some mystical force. I just believe that thoughts are things and thoughts have like an impact, a physical impact on the world around you, whether it's the, the, you know, the, the rays that your brain emits or the frequency of the vibrations of, of your brain waves, it affects the world around you. And somewhere within that, things happen as a result of what you think. Like going back to thinking grow rich, there's, he says in the first chapter, there's like an under, there's a secret, which is an undertone of the whole book that he never actually says, but eventually once you figure it out, it becomes so real. And to me, and I think this is pretty well known, but to me, it is like the world becomes what you think, like your life becomes what you think. And so if you just think and believe that you will get a client like you still have to get it right. What is the, what's the expression? God can move mountains, but you need to bring a shovel. Like you still have to bring your shovel. But, I haven't heard that one. I like it. Yeah. But, but you can still go after it. Okay. So um, I'm glad we got these stories. I'm, I'm rambling on a little bit. Did you have something else to say? Well, I wanted to piggyback on what you had said about kind of searching for the term for like what this is. Yeah. Um, 
both of our stories, people are going to hate this, but the term that comes to mind for me is like hustle or like grind or it's very face to face. Every story that I've heard of this involves somebody going out and talking about what it is that they're trying to do. Yes. And I, I think there's an important distinction there for anybody who's actually done it because maybe you've experienced this. It, there's like a common, I guess, experience in the business world where you will build something and kind of hope that people are just going to find it. I've done that myself plenty of times. Not a, so many times. Everyone's sure. done that. Yeah. And it seems like the major difference between people who end up with some level of success on a project and those who don't, at least in terms of getting it started, lies in that moment of like, are you going to go talk about this or not? You're just going to put it out there on the web and just hope that the world finds it. So in your case, you started actively talking about it. You were not just blogging, but like also building a Facebook group around these ideas that you were sharing, which is a very proactive thing to try and yeah. do. This was an email blast. I also asked, so I, I shared this in the trends community the other day. And I, I asked people, I said, like, what are some of the like stories from how'd you get your first clients? And like literally everything that came back fell into this same category of putting things out in front of people. So I have a couple Definitely. of them. Like announcing your intention, like, Hey, I'm taking clients. You should hire me <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And this works for different types of businesses too. So there's one guy here who launched a brand of toy. As he says, I launched a brand of toys back in 2014. Same thing. Hit up my mail contacts, generated several sales and reviews, which is cool. There's somebody else who created a, so this was interesting, created a course and it's like a, I, I'm not sure if it's just a course or if they also do like live training, but his initial feedback was I created a course and offered it for free on a related Facebook group. Get the idea out there. That got exposure, which led to my first sale. Then I asked, I said, well, Hey, what were you selling? And here's the interesting part. I think this is the second piece of the equation for what leads to like a successful, successfully landing a first client. It's super niche for him. So I think for a service business or like really any kind of early stage idea, you can make the argument that it needs to fall into one of two categories, or, or if you fall into one of these two categories, it's going to be much easier to land clients, either something very niche where to your point, you like speak the language and stuff like that, or something that is difficult or like unpleasant for other people. Sucks. Yeah. Which yeah, is code. So that right? sucks totally code or like, or so another example of that is, is uh, copy on product pages. I remember one of my first jobs ever, there was a company in West Palm beach, Florida that sold and repaired patio furniture and I wrote all of the product reviews on it because like those, those products need to have words underneath there or else nobody buys it. And even more so today, because so many of us do shopping on our phone. Um, but yeah, it was awful. It was so awful. And I had to do it for like a month and a half. But the thing is, eventually I remember learning a lot about STO from that website. I just patio furniture, West Palm beach, like outdoor furniture set, West Palm beach, uh, outdoor chairs, West Palm Beach. And, you know, I would link some of the articles to the products and the conversion rate on the, uh, on the products went up as well. It was, it was the first time I ever was able to present to a client 
like the the hockey stick of a Google Analytics chart and really feeling like, wow, like words on the internet are powerful. And, but same thing you said, like that client then referred me to somebody else. It was, um, uh, I still talk to her, I still host her website. 12 years later, it was an air conditioning in- installation and repair business in, uh, in Boyan. I, I love how niche that is. Or like, I don't even know if niche is the right term, but it's, I don't, if I was starting out writing copy, it's not where I would first look. So maybe niche isn't the right term, but it's like unexpected businesses that still need all these things. Like everybody wants to go be a copywriter at, you know, some sexy new startup, but like every business needs this. And so this guy's example was pretty interesting. It turns out, listen, listen to this, his training they teach a training class on tough customer service interactions with homeless people. Like how niche is that? And it turns out the, like, I mean, this is really important because you have a lot of these uh, institutions that serve all types of people, right? Like he says, one of their major clients is libraries and the staff just don't know how to handle some of these interactions because they can be quite complex. So he would, you know, he offers this free course and then, businesses are like more than willing to kind of bring them in in order to pay for other training or something like that. But this idea that like, who would think to sell the libraries when you're creating courses? It, I don't think that can be overstated. The importance of doing something that's either niche or offering a solution to something that's like unpleasant. We have a couple of minutes left. I would love to circle back to the beginning of this and cl- maybe close this out with this idea of believing in your ability to sell. So you, you've done a ton of sales and I would like to hear you talk through this a little bit more specifically, what I found myself wondering is, can that be trained? And if it can be, maybe we can bring this home to like, like a very tangible example. If you were training somebody new to sell, say like Stadzi's services, and maybe this is something that you just went through recently with the documentation. I don't know. What would you do to instill that confidence in them out of the gate if they didn't have it before? I'm so glad you brought this up because I was thinking about it in the beginning when how much should I incorporate tactics of sales and tactics of um, like uh, attention getting. It's kind of slipping my mind, however you say that. But there's two things in sales that everybody screws up. And it's human nature um, because it's in our DNA almost not to be indebted to people and asking people for things is very, very difficult. Like in the amygdalas of our brains and our lizard's brains, because there's just something innate in us. that says like, no, 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 don't ever take things from strangers because then they'll have a a, a one up on you basically. Um, So there's two things people screw up. They talk about themselves and then they don't ask for the money. <laughs> and like, like it's, it's those two things. Here's a great solution for it. If you feel really comfortable about your writing and it's like, hey, I'm on social media, I'm promoting myself and people talk about it, but man, I just can't close that deal. Uh, read a book called You Can't Learn to Sell a Bike. You Can't Learn to Ride a Bike at a Seminar by uh, something Sandler. It's called the Sandler Sales System. And there's two things that this guy really, really practices, which totally changed my view on sales. 
he has a, there's a visualization, it's called a submarine. Uh, it's a submarine method. And the idea is that submarines are obviously in precarious situations. They're deep in the ocean. And if there's a leak, uh, they're in chambers. And so like, once you lock a chamber, you can't ever go back because it's flooded. So you go through this process. And once you go through each stage, like you can never go backwards. And so the first thing that you do in the sandless sail system is you make an upfront contract. So you get the awkward point out of the way and you reduce the risk of having, you know, a proposal, a presentation, a pitch, and then having them say, I mean, what is it? Let me think about it, right? That's like fucking knife to the heart of a really well present, like a, a, a presentation that you put a lot of hard work into for a sales pitch. So you start right from the very beginning. Let's say we were doing this and say, hey, Ethan, thank you so much for the call. I'm happy to take as long as you need to tell you about our services and what we can do for you. I just have one simple request. When I'm done, please tell me yes or no. That's all I ask. I respect your time. I'm going to put a lot of time into this. If I'm going to get through this whole entire presentation, you, you think that's fair, right? And then use the F word. Because that F word is like, again, there's something innate about humanity that is, is into fairness. So do you think that's fair? And of course, you're going to say yes. And so now you've put like that reputation on the line to get an answer. So you can solve that problem just by using the upfront contract. And then the second one is really just stuff the copywriting taught me where nobody cares about you. They don't actually care about your business. They don't care about your services. They don't care about your amazing team and like how cool it is. All they care about is my, is their problem getting fixed. So upfront contract and then drill it into your head. They don't care about me. They don't care about me. They don't care about me. They care about their problem getting fixed. And if you do those things, like that is the tactic of sales. Um, you aren't convincing somebody to do something. You're taking somebody that probably needs what you have and persuading them to take the next step. Um, yeah. So I, I could like, man, there's times in my life where I think about just ditching this whole writing thing and just doing sales presentations, you know, because I really love negotiation. And I think if people appreciated negotiation a little bit more, um, it would really, really help them in their lives. You know, like how many people don't get what they want just because they don't ask. And it, 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 it really upsets me sometimes. So, uh, so that's my answer. <laughs> This is awesome. I'm curious to know out of the gate, did you always like sales or was that something that you developed? No, I developed it because, because, well, you know, I'm not sure. I, I've read so much. And so I think I just, I had a speech impediment when I was younger. I was in speech class for years. So I couldn't say, and, and if you really listen, I still struggle with sometimes, but the letter R. So if I were to say mirror, it'd be like mirror. You know, I couldn't get the er part. And I was so insecure as a kid, just because every time I would talk, like I get made fun of. And uh, eventually, especially like because of that, writing was my friend. And through writing, I think I really learned to like articulate my thoughts and present opinions and formulate arguments. And when I was able to just get the confidence to get my speaking ability up and like a ton of speech class, which uh, really helped. Her name was Mrs. Boop. Um, once I was able to do that, I was like, you know what, I, I can do this. And so I, I enjoyed not necessarily debate, you know, but I just enjoyed 
like being right, <laughs> basically. But uh, what really turned it over for me was working in the call center. And I know we talked about this last time. Like if you want to learn the most valuable skill in the entire world, go work at a call center for a year and a half and make a hundred cold calls a day and get hung up on over and over and over again and figure out how to talk to strangers over the phone and have them trust you and believe in you enough to give you their credit card. You learn things like talking when you smile and you realize that like you can actually hear over the phone when somebody's, or excuse me, smiling when you talk. And you can learn that people hear if you're smiling when you talk and you can just hear how conversations interact with each other when the person doing the selling has like a certain vibe about them. So, uh, so yeah, I really, really developed it when I worked at that call center. And I thought like, damn, this is a superpower. Like it's an actual superpower. And then I started taking it seriously. That's fascinating. And I think you just found maybe the topic for our next conversation. Yeah, this always happens. (laughs) (laughs) I had a similar experience, which was that I hated sales until a handful of things changed my mind. And I guess maybe we should get in, we'll get into it on the next call, but like at a high level, I think there was a really fundamental shift around a few things. One you mentioned, which was just getting comfortable being hung up on and making that call. I had a similar job. In fact, I mentioned an internship that I had when I was younger. I interned at a company selling lighting retrofits to convenience stores. That's a good one. (sighs) My God. Yeah, that's a good one. That's brutal. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. A lot of getting told no. It was the first time I ever had a cold call, like just through a list of people. And like where I was in the Northeast, like a lot of people who own convenience stores up there, I don't know if this is still true, but at least then it was mostly like Chinese and Indian people. So there was, and Hispanic. So like there was a immediate language barrier in most of those calls. So if you're going to be successful, not only do you have to pick up the phone and like, win somebody's trust, but do it across a cultural gap as well. And for the most part, I just wasn't, I wasn't very successful, but I did get used to that concept of just picking up the phone, dialing, maybe not being so attached to the outcome, because I think that's what trips people up a lot. But then I had, so one is getting over that fear of getting told no. I think the other one which is maybe tied into this for me was realize uh, there's two realizing similar to what you said, your job is not to convince somebody to buy what you're selling. Your job is to see if they need what you're selling and just confirm it. Right. So you have a product. And if you actually believe that that product does what it's supposed to do, the only thing you're doing in a sales call is assessing what that person needs and then showing them how you can help them. That was a big unlock for me, understanding that, because I don't feel like I'm particularly quick-witted or anything like that. Like I don't have like a silver tongue when it comes to negotiating on the fly, but I am pretty good at like asking questions. And then the other, the last thing was, so I did a brief stint selling kitchens and bathrooms for Sears. And that was brutal too, because we got those leads from basically people who did not want to be bothered are like appliance repair team would go into their house, repair their fridge and then say, Hey, wow. Are you interested in like a quote to, it's a free quote to have your kitchen redone. And instantly they're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Just get out of my house. So we were 
going to people's houses, trying to sell them incredibly expensive kitchens. That's a whole other story. Um, but what I learned there was this idea that objections are a good thing. They're useful for you if you're trying to sell. Yeah. Because if somebody just hits you with, well, let me think about it. You have no idea what's going through their head. But if they, if I can get them to say, you know, well, you know, what's, the, what do you think is the biggest thing that's keeping you from saying yes today? Which I hate that as a question, but some version of that. And they say, well, you know, like the, I don't know, saving up for a new car and just kind of like gets in the way of that goal or whatever it is. I don't know what it'd be. Now you have something to work with. So those three things helped me a lot. And it sounds like you had a similar journey. So maybe the next episode is we dig in on sales specifically for like services in this game or like writing yeah. and just maybe with a specific focus on like, how do you actually close these deals? It's one thing to get somebody to email you and say like, Hey, you know, we need a new website or I need this copy written. How do you actually turn that into money? That's where we can go next with this. That's it. Cause everybody wants to slam dunk. Right. But like making money requires not the slam dunks that anybody can get. It's going out and get it. This was my favorite podcast so far, man. This, this was great. I mean, we, we went so far that we didn't even need the notes this time. I had a whole, art, a whole article from Kaylee Moore that I was going to go through. I'll make sure I put this article in the job notes because um, I think Kaylee did a really great job. But, but really, she just more or less wrote down a lot of the things that we, that we said about putting yourself out there, networking with people, asking friends and colleagues and acquaintances for like email referrals. So yeah, let, let's, let's save some of this for next week because I think now... I think now we talked about okay, you got the bolder moving, right? Well, it's a, it's it's a it's a law of physics. It takes more force to get something moving than to keep it moving. So we got the bolder moving. Now, how do we really like start getting deals? How do we start closing deals? How do we um, get that momentum to 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 grow our business? So, I'm jacked. This is great. Awesome. Yeah, I like this too. I I, I liked uh, that it was. Super tactical. It was fun to hear more about your story as well. So if everybody enjoyed this, be sure to uh, let us know on Twitter. I'm uh, at damn Ethan. And Tim, what are you these days? I'm at Tim Stodds, T-I-M-S-T-O-D-Z. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter. Um, please like and subscribe to the podcast. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. And we will talk to you next Tuesday. All right, hey, can I, have a good weekend. Can I, can I throw one more thing out before we stop recording? Please. Okay, cool. So... If you like and subscribe and you're on this journey trying to get some attention for whatever your service or your business is, send us a screenshot. DM us on Twitter. Let us know. So like when you subscribe, send us a screenshot and we'll uh, we'll shout you out on the pod. I love that. Yeah, what a great idea. And you know what else we should start doing? Maybe I won't even put this in the in the show, but I think this would be really cool. Maybe we can have uh, people like use examples of the tactics that we fucking give them and then like celebrate it together. That would be cool too. Yeah, that would be awesome. So we're we're out there. We're paying attention. Make sure you hit us up and we'll see you in the next week. All right, guys. See you later.